0: Welcome to Cross Point again, and uh, just want to say, what a what an amazing series this has been in Advent. Um, this is one of the first times that that my family has been journeying in this as a tradition. And so maybe you're here today and you're new, and you would say, what is Advent? Advent means arrival, and it's this time of waiting and longing for the arrival of Christ. And so over the last four weeks, what we've been doing in celebrating Advent is there has been a candle lighting to represent that the light of the world comes in a different way. In week one, we lit the candle of hope, remembering that God promised a rescue from sin. In week number two, we lit the candle of love. Remember that we received God's love through his refining grace, that which makes us Holy, because he is holy. That which God brings about through his son, Jesus Christ. Because he has saved us, he's not done with us yet, but he's continuing to renew us and refine us and redeem us as the people of God. In week number three, we lit the candle of joy. That the joy of our salvation is the songs of God. That God sings over us. That God loves us so much that he rejoices in us. And all the angels rejoice. And this morning, we lit the candle of God's peace. Realizing that what happened so long ago was the ushering, ushering in of peace. And here, here's what I want us to think about today. And I want us to replace some of what we think about peace in a very worldly way, meaning that in the way that the world thinks about peace, it's not really the way that God has planned that peace would come about. It's very different. So when you think about peace, what do you think about? Maybe you're on a hammock uh, on the white sandy shores of a beach and you're looking up at a palm tree and you have a good book and a nap and that is peace. Maybe you're in the mountains taking a hike and you take a momentary break to sit by a stream and then the water rushes over your feet. You enjoy that peace, that shalom. Or, or maybe it's just a good day off at home without anything planned that day, but that you have the ability in that day to do what you want to do. Maybe that's peace for you. Now, all of those things are peaceful But are those things the peace that God intended that we would have that would allow us the comfort of knowing that He is our God and we are His people? That He He is our God and we are His people. So last Friday was my day off. and. Uh, We had Actually, I have Fridays off. It wasn't just last Friday. But uh, last Friday, uh, we had a day off. And it was one of those days where there was nothing pressuring us uh, for the day. We could take life at our own pace. And so, Ryan, there's a picture I put on there. I don't know if you could put that picture up. So you, you may not be able to see that so well. But there's our fireplace. There's a fire in the fireplace. There's the Christmas tree presents under. My wife is wrapping Christmas presents. That morning was a cool and crisp morning not like today's 90-degree weather that we're going to receive. But that morning was one of those rare mornings where you could put a fire in the fireplace and just enjoy. And it was so peaceful. It was the first time I used my fireplace. I, I, I figured out how to use it. I opened the flue. I put in the log. I put in the starter set. I lit it. And it was wonderful. Just wonderful morning. No pressure. Nothing like that. The whole purpose, though, of why I was doing that was to kind of get a little practice because I knew that the kids would want to do the same on another cold morning, which happened to be Saturday. And so on Saturday, we tried to replicate the process. And I say tried to replicate the process. And you involve kids. Actually, the kids weren't what made it non-peaceful. It was, I opened, I did everything that I did with this fireplace. Only my second time using the fireplace. I started it, and this fire is going, and the smoke is going up, but the smoke is also coming in. And so the house quickly fills with smoke and so we're opening the doors the kids are freaking out even the dog is scared at this point and smoke is billowing out of the house and right now my my house smells like four rivers barbecue yeah that's great but and so the fire alarm comes off and then we hear in the distance this and my wife is like oh my gosh this is so embarrassing And so, in front of our driveway comes the fire department, and I want to save face here. I want to look like I know how to do this, guys. I mean, really. And so, I go out of the house, I'm coughing, (laughs) and and the kids come out as well, and they see the smoke coming out the front door, and they're wondering if everything's okay, and I'm like, listen, guys, everything's fine, everything's fine, our house is peaceful. (laughs) No, it's not. It's chaotic. How about we take a look? How about we we come on in and, and take a look? And so... Um, they quickly see that the flu didn't open up correctly. It wasn't my fault. Like, I mean, yes, it was. But it wasn't my fault. Something happened to where that didn't open up right, and the smoke came in, and our house smells like four rivers right now. And it was supposed to be a peaceful morning, but it ended up being rather chaotic. But really, in in actuality, it it was a joy. I mean, we have those memories, we have those times, and when we think about peace, we think about peace not defined by what's outside, but what's uh, inside. Right? You know those people that when all the pressure seems to come upon them, they seem like they're a people of peace? You know that Jesus in the middle of the storm is sleeping? And his disciples are saying in the middle of that boat and the waves crashing around them, they're like, Why are you sleeping? And Jesus says to the winds and the wave, he says, peace, be still. Here we have from the prophet Micah, not Micah with the beard. This is the prophet Micah, although Micah could be a prophet. Um, chapter 5, at the, end of ver- at the beginning of verse 5, it says, and he shall be their peace. I, I want you to know very clearly today that peace comes with God's rule. Peace comes with God's rule. Let me say it to you in the way of mathematics. God's rule equals God's peace. God's rule equals God's peace. There is a way to find peace. There is a way to have peace. But the way to find peace isn't us going to get it. It's peace coming down and ruling and reigning over our hearts and lives. Peace pressed in towards us. God's rule equals God's peace. The way to experience peace isn't by having everything all together. I mean, there's a great tendency around Christmas time to have everything perfect. Even today, you're thinking about who do you still have to shop for? What do you still have to do? What are the things that you have to do to get ready? And all those things feel like pressure upon us all the time. But I want you to experience in this moment of pause right now that peace comes not by having everything put together, not by having everything perfect, In fact, your life might be a mess, but you know how you could find peace right now? By crying out to God and knowing that the God of peace is ready to give it to you. And peace comes through surrender to say, God, you are God and I am not. You're the one who is in charge of my life. That's where peace genuinely comes from. And that's the peace that Micah promises here in chapter five. And that's the rule that God has planned for our lives that His peace would not just simply be something that we look for outside of us, but we would allow that peace to come into our hearts and to rule and reign where we need it most. So today we're going to talk about that peace and how it comes and how it comes in unexpected ways. Peace comes in unexpected ways. And there's three unexpected places that, ways that we see peace come about. And the first one is that peace comes from an unexpected place. You'll see that in verse 2. Nextly, you'll see that peace comes to an unexpected people. You'll see that in verse 3. And then finally in verse 4, we're going to look together and see how peace comes in an unexpected place way. So let's go ahead and start at the first point. Peace comes in an unex- from an unexpected place. Verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is the ruler, to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. The, the prophecy of Micah here isn't a new prophecy. It's a prophecy that's been repeated. Although there's things that we see in Micah's prophecy, meaning this forth of God's plan of redemption. That's what this prophecy is. It's a forth of God's plan of redemption. And in this prophecy we see what the other prophets have told about. That from the ancient of days... From the ancient of times, from the beginning of time, God had in place a plan to redeem and restore His people. And the ruler who is to come is the ruler who has always been. The ruler who is to come is the ruler who, from the beginning of time, is the one who is to come. And He's going to come to an unexpected place. And the place that He is going to come to... Is a place of little significance in that time period. It's Bethlehem, this little sleepy village about five and a half miles outside of Jerusalem. It wasn't a place for nobility to be born. But here, you know the story there was this decree of Caesar Augustus that everyone should go back to their homeland in order to register for the census. It was it was not Caesar Augustus' decree, it was God's decree. God's decree in order to bring about his plan that the Virgin Mary and her betrothed Joseph would go to Bethlehem, the city of David. That's the most significant thing about Bethlehem at that time period. It is the the city that David was born, King David He was known as the greatest ruler of Jerusalem. He was the one who saw prosperity and and, and seemingly peace come upon the city. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of anyone's imagination. In fact, David was the one who pointed as an imperfect king to the perfect king who would come after him. So it was fitting that Jesus began his humble beginnings like David. And that David's humble beginnings point to a humble king that is to come after him. And it's in Bethlehem, this small insignificant city. Bethlehem was too little to be even considered a clan of Judah. But it wasn't that God regarded Bethlehem to be anything special except that God chose this place. That's what made Bethlehem special. Peace came from an unexpected place. It's got us asking the question. It's got me asking the question, where am I looking for peace to come from? Where am I looking for peace to come from? So many times we think that peace is in our next vacation. We've got those dates marked out. We've got that block set and peace comes on that next vacation. Peace comes on the date night that we have planned on Tuesday. Oh, that's going to be a time of peace Maybe peace comes in a bigger paycheck or a promotion. Or peace comes when all the relationships in your life have harmony. You know how easy that is, right? And if you're looking for peace in those places, it's not going to come. God's peace always comes in unexpected places. And we have to be looking for it. But God also shows it to us through His Word. He says, here's where peace comes from. Peace comes from Him. Isn't it so interesting how when we know that we need peace, we actually look for it in other places from, than, than from the source of where it really comes from? Isn't it interesting of that? Do you know that the Jews, by and large, disregarded Jesus even though they were shown from God's Word where God's peace would go to? Bethlehem. Here you have it in Micah. You have it in the prophet Isaiah. But they glossed over that because they were looking for peace from another place. It wasn't a place of nobility to be born, it wasn't a place for a ruling authority, nonetheless, the ruler of all the world to be born. But here is the place that Jesus was born, and in a stable, no less. And they didn't even have a crib with this nice plush bedding for him. He was laid in a manger upon some rags. Wow. This is the place where peace comes. Doesn't it show us that the conditions of our lives don't have to be perfect to receive God's peace? Doesn't it show us that? Because what matters is not what surrounds this peace though it surrounds the condition of peace but that perfect peace comes in the perfect child Jesus and we have to know where to look for him peace comes from an unexpected place i want to ask you the question where are you looking for peace where are you looking for peace First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 127 through 31 says god chose what is foolish in this world To shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not. To bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. John Piper writes this about the lowly, humble beginnings of Jesus in that unexpected place. He says that God chose a stable so no innkeeper could boast. He chose the comfort of my inn. God chose a manger so that no woodworker could boast. He chose the craftsmanship of my bed. He chose Bethlehem so that no one could boast the greatness of our city constrained, the divine choice. He chose you and me freely and unconditionally to stop the mouth of all human boasting. You know why God has you here this morning? To say, glory be to God. Do you know why God has been working in your life far beyond that which you can see it? Not so that you could say that I'm a perfect person and I have it all together and somehow because I'm so good, I deserve God. No, God chose you because you don't deserve Him. God chose you because you need Him and even for you to see that you don't deserve Him is a gift of God's grace by God's Holy Spirit opening your heart, opening your eyes to receive His good gift of God's mercy. God gave us His salvation so that no one could boast and say it's all about King Jesus. It's all about the glory of God. Oh friends, this is the Christmas story. That God came into the world to save sinners, as the apostle Paul says, of whom I am for most. First 1 Timothy 1.15. God's peace comes from an unexpected place, and then it comes to an unexpected people. It comes to an unexpected people. The religious elite the Pharisees, the scholars, the ones who knew it all, the ones who were good at doing all their Bible study and doing all the things, those were the ones that you would think this peace would come to. But they skipped the part where they realized that they were sinners and they thought that somehow they were naturally worthy of God's peace or they could earn God's peace and the Pharisees were the ones that missed Jesus. This is why you see Jesus constantly rebuking the Pharisees and the Pharisees constantly trying to kill Jesus because Jesus interrupts their self-righteousness with His grace and His mercy and they reject it. And God's peace comes to an unexpected people. We see in this passage here, and verse 3, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. This is a promise, and the promise is, is that God is going to subject his people to hardship. He is going to give them up in order that they might see their need for the Messiah. And their need for the Messiah would become through the Virgin Mary, who would give birth to Redemption. It's the promise for the people of Israel. This is the people who don't deserve God's grace. These are the people that God has made a covenant with. And He has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will place my commands upon you and you follow my commands and I will give you my blessing. And the people of Israel fell into idolatry, they fell into religion moralism, so to speak, thinking that somehow if they could obey all the Ten Commandments, then they would somehow deserve God's peace. But here's what they missed, is that they have not loved the Lord their God with all of their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. They've placed something or someone else before God. Israel are the ones who have abandoned God. God is the one who reaches out to Israel and says, you can still hope. There's still a way for peace, and that peace is going to come through the redemption of God's Son, who will unite the brothers together. And the peace isn't just for Israel. The peace is also for those who would trust and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is really powerful. If you look at the second part of verse 3, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. You know, the Apostle Paul says, not all Israel is Israel. Meaning that all, not all of God's people are defined by their ethnicity, or their race, or their heritage. But the brothers of Israel are the redeemed people of God that put their hope in Messiah. This is how we know who God's people are. Those who realize that they are sinners in need of a Savior... Those who realize that they need God's mercy. And this is who God showed his love for. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. He hung out with the riffraff, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He hung out with those who were rejected by and large by the rest of society. Do you know why he hung out with those sinners? Because sinners knew that they were sinners. The self-righteousness had no The self-righteous had no idea. And it was in his revelation of their sin, in his grace, that they were overcome by his mercy. That's why we have Matthew, the gospel of Matthew in the Bible. He was once a tax collector, an extortioner. God changed him. His whole life radically reoriented because God's grace found him. He was an unexpected person that marveled at and received God's grace. Think about the way the Messiah first appeared. There's a star that was in the fields. And the shepherds, the shepherds, the shepherds saw the star. God showed the shepherds. Now, the, why is that such a big deal? Well, shepherds were, were known as not trustworthy. They were Scum, essentially. They smelled really bad. They had lots of problems. You thought if a shepherd come into town, you would want to hide all your valuables, lock up your bikes, make sure no one could get into your yard because if the shepherds were coming through, you knew that they were just in and out and they were journeymen. They were nomads. Shepherds. I mean, this would be like God showing, if we were to, to import it into today, you know, it would be over the seas of Alaska showing it to the, the, the crab boats from the deadliest catch. It'd be like showing it to those guys, those blue collar, rough and tumble, dirty mouthed people that had no business deserving of God's grace. But these are the people that God showed it to. They were probably sitting around the campfire getting hammered, but then you see this star in the sky and the angel angel says to these shepherds in the fields by night, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace upon whom his favor rests. They were given God's grace and they go and they see this newborn son. Ah, what a sight to behold. Could you imagine the multitudes? It says multitudes of angels. The thundering voice of the thousands upon thousands of angels that those shepherds heard. How it must have reoriented their life. How it must have changed everything about them. God's peace comes to an unexpected people. Here's what I want you to know. You can't earn God's peace. You, 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 your resume... It doesn't get you God's peace. Your to-do list doesn't get you God's peace. It's only grace that gives you God's peace. It's only grace that allow where, where you receive the peace of God. Because peace is the reconciliation between God and man, and man to man. And how can we be reconciled to God unless God reconciles himself to us? Because we are the ones who have offended him. We are the ones who have sinned against him. But what we see here so amazing is that peace pressed in. Peace pressed in to those who don't deserve it. Are you aware of your need for peace? Are you aware of that? God's peace comes to an unexpected people. Verse 4, peace comes in an unexpected way. Peace comes in an unexpected way. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name, in the Lord his God, in the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great in to the ends of the Of the earth. Not only does God show Himself to shepherds, but God shows Himself to be a shepherd. Not only does God show Himself to shepherds, but God shows Himself to be a shepherd. You know, you think the king would come in order to be served, the king would come in order to build a kingdom and a palace and a guard and a a, a group of servants who would declare His majesty by by working for him and by plowing forth this kingdom in the world the Pharisees missed Jesus because they were looking for someone else they were looking for someone to make the world right again according to what they wanted to see they wanted to see Rome crushed they wanted to see the enemy defeated and then they wanted to have everything on earth restored to where Jerusalem was a powerhouse in this geopolitical realm And somehow the Pharisees, the high priest and the Sadducees and those who were in religious power in that day wanted to be cabinets under the king. And so Jesus was rejected because how could this man of humble beginnings who didn't even have a home, who was this rabbi and teacher to the 12 disciples who were unlearned, unschooled fishermen by and large, how could this man be the ruler and king? And they missed him. And so peace came in an unexpected way because peace came through a shepherd. A shepherd. The, the sheep. We are his sheep. If he's our shepherd, then we are his sheep. And, and, and sheep are pretty dumb, in all honesty. And so if you know anything about shepherding, and I learned more about this, you know that the shepherd has to lead his sheep or they could even fall off of a cliff. Like they'll all just go right off unless the shepherd is leading them right? We'll do the same thing if God isn't leading us. If a, if a sheep falls upside down, it'll just waddle there forever. There's been bones found of sheep in the middle of fields to where they just decayed because they, were, they went upside down and there was no one there to flip them around. If the sheep isn't sheared, the, after even several years, it'll add up to 50 pounds of weight and it could crush them. Sheep need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. And Jesus is our shepherd. How do we know that? Well, if you look in the Bible, he tells you that. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the mighty shepherd that Micah prophesies to us about in verse 4. He is the one who will defeat the enemies of the people of God by crushing sin, death, and Satan. He is the one who will allow his security to dwell in our hearts by defeating sin, death, and Satan. You look at the mighty shepherd, you have to look at the cross or you won't see him. This is why so many were led astray because they weren't looking for the shepherd to lay down his life for sheep. And the king on the cross is the one who tells us to marvel at God's grace because God's grace came at a cost. Peace came to an unexpected people because it came in an unexpected way and the way that peace came was through the cross, reconciling God and man. This is the songs that we sing peace on earth god and sinner reconciled this is the joy that god brings to our heart it's through the cross of christ and you see that peace was costly this is why our idea of harmony and a conflict-free life is so difficult because we know that peace is costly that we have to swallow our pride that sometimes people won't want to make peace and we're called to per- pursue peace in spite of that and God sent Jesus as a peace offering God was the only one who could establish peace and God did and God did through his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life Mark ten forty five says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a, 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 a man named J.I. Packer, who really summarizes the Christmas message in a very powerful way. He says, The Christmas message is that there's hope for a ruined humanity, Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. Peace comes through the child born in the manger that hangs on the cross. It's interesting how this life that looks so not glorious. So not glamorous is the life that's still so celebrated today. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years later, we were at Epcot in Disney World, and they were reading the gospel narrative of Luke chapter 2, chapter 1, and chapter 2. I was amazed, absolutely amazed. And you know what the difference is between the peace that the world thinks about and the peace that the Christian thinks about is the world thinks about peace on earth as something external, a conflict-free world, a conflict-free life, uh, a, a life without war, a life. Without trials, a life without struggle, peace on earth. And this is what Jesus represents. I don't believe that Jesus represents that kind of peace. I do believe that he wants to bring about that peace. And I do believe that he has worked to bring about that peace. But I do so believing that he does that in the hearts of men. He doesn't do it through all the right conditions. He does it through showing us that we can have peace. And it doesn't come from this world. It comes from the God who created the world. This is where God's peace comes from. And peace comes in an unexpected way through the cross of Christ. The most celebrated person in all humanity is the person who went from a babe in a manger to the king on the cross. He rose again on the third day so that we might have life. I say this every week, but I want you to know and I want you to realize that God put his sin upon him and he was punished in our place. Do you have peace with God? God put our sin upon upon Him, and He was punished in our place. It's called substitutionary atonement. And that means that it shouldn't be Jesus on that cross but us. It shouldn't be God's wrath bearing down on Jesus but God's wrath bearing down on us. But because God's wrath bore down on Jesus, it's not bearing down on us. Because God's love was given to Jesus and His life was given to Jesus. God's love and life was given to us. He gets our sin we get his righteousness, substitutionary atonement. Isn't it powerful? And it was done through Jesus. Man, it's so good. That's where peace comes from. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Have you been reconciled to him? And do you have peace with others? Did you have a conflict-free 2016? Maybe you've had some difficulties in your family, you're going to have Christmas with people and you're going to be around the table and some of them you don't have peace with what does it look like to have the peace of God and to take that peace to the Christmas table in just a week how about with your community group maybe with your roommates maybe with your coworkers? Do you have peace and is that peace a transformative peace that the mighty shepherds ushered in ushers in through his sheep through his people are you, a one, are you one who is a peacemaker? This is what the gospel calls us to be. This is what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You're part of God's family. We move forward and we advance peace. Are you one who advances peace? I'll, I'll even say it in, in, in light of the world around us. We haven't seen peace this year. It's been a very hard year. Even in Orlando, we had 49 people killed. We are now ground zero for the largest shooting that's ever taken place by a single person. This is us now. Like it came here. And then not too long later in Istanbul, Turkey, there was a terrorist attack. 41 dead. Nice, France. Over 70 dead. And you have the racial tensions that boiled over by the shootings of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, highlighting the fact that there is not reconciliation between man and man, that there's so much that continues to divide us. I want to ask us, what would it look like to be a people of peace, realizing that God has made peace with us so that we can make peace with one another? This is the peace on earth that God desires for us. And the fruit of the spirit of peace is us being those peacemakers. Do you have peace with one another? Think about it right now. I don't want this to escape you. Maybe you should even write it down. Who do you need to make peace with? Who do you need to make peace with? Who do you need to establish so long, rest with, and say, There's no divide between me and you, brother? There's no divide between me and you, sister. I've carried these wounds. I've carried these burdens. And listen, I don't, I don't pretend that it's not hard. I don't pretend that there's so much that you've had to wrestle with and weigh. But I say that the gospel is at stake. If we are unwilling to be a people of peace, how will the God of peace be made known through us if we don't demonstrate that peace? Make peace. Make peace. F.B. Mayer says, when bitterness is poured out, God's peace is poured in. When bitterness is poured out, God's peace is poured in. Tim Keller says Christmas means that through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with everybody else. And the people who embrace the gospel and do that, the more people that embrace the gospel and do that, the better off the world is. Christmas, therefore, means the increase of peace, both with God and between people across the face of the world. This is how the gospel advance, not through our holding grudges or bitterness or vengeance, but by making peace. Because God has made peace through the blood of his son shed on the cross so that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 5. And he shall be their peace. God's rule equals God's peace. Maybe the circumstances of your life are difficult. Maybe you come to a place and you say, I I don't know how I could have peace. I I just want to make it available to you. I'm going to ask right now, if if you are a community group leader, co-leader, would you go to the connection table and would you be available should anyone need prayer? We're going to pray for peace even in your life today. But peace doesn't come through all the right circumstances. Peace comes through the right hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ despite our circumstances. I want to read you this story as we close. This is from a woman. Her name is Kelly King. And she is a part of the Cross Point Winter Park congregation. And her son, Nolan, has been battling cancer. He's a three-year-old boy. And she writes this story. And I say this to both allow us to be ministered by it and in that we would also be people praying for her. She says, this week I've been once again reminded that real life is crowded with disappointments all of them elbowing each other out of the way to fight for the spot as most hurtful. It's hard to comprehend that Tony and I haven't completely learned this lesson yet, that with each letdown or unmet expectation, that we are sad or mad or invariably humbled, that we aren't used to it yet, that each time we are let down, or maybe we're the ones letting others down, that we must search for our faith, and that we have to work at remembering that there's only one true Savior. That Jesus is the only thing that we have to cling to that will not disappoint spouses, friends, contractors, children, the guy who cut you off on I-4, the lady at the Starbucks drive through and most importantly, you. Each and every one of us is an imper- imperfect human sinner. We will never be enough. They will never be enough. Our houses, our cars, our monies, our jobs, they're all terrible, frustrating, unsatisfying idols. They will all eventually fail and disappoint. They're never enough. But even though I'm still learning this lesson, and always will be, our journey with Nolan, their son, has distinctly changed one very important thing. I don't get nearly as tripped up on insignificant disappointments. And my grumbling is much briefer than it used to be. A few years ago, I was the gal whose entire day was ruined and unrecoverable if I got some coffee on my new blouse. If the timing or location of plans had to shift, I would get anxious and distraught. If I did something wrong to someone else, I could barely go on. Every detail and every moment of every holiday and every event had to be perfect with a capital P. Now, my perspective has changed. To the extent that I feel like I mostly recognize what, what matters and what just doesn't, all capital. I may get frustrated, I may often whine and complain. That's allowable and healthy, but when I lay my head down at night, there are a few things that really wad me up, like no one's health, the reality of possibly having to go through chemotherapy and another surgery again, or the thought of us. Him not being with us anymore. Those are the things that make my chest feel heavy. She continues on. She says, I wonder how much we allow ourselves to embrace life's little victories and enjoy these precious moments. Last night, Nolan got to ride the choo-choo to the Orlando Magic basketball game. His eyes lit up with excitement in his voice and the thrill of his actions were palatable. I was just a, it was just a commuter train and it was only 10 minutes, but it mattered to him. And it should matter to me far more than having all the details perfect. How about we spend Christmas week focusing on what really matters and letting go of the things that don't. Jesus was born to show us how to live and to save us from our sins. He is the only one who has done this thing perfectly. Let's let grace abound and joy prevail. Who's with me? Would you bow your heads and pray? Father, let's let grace abound and joy prevail by realizing that, God, you've reconciled us to yourself, and that's the best gift ever. And that the gift of Christmas that we might offer to one another is the gospel of peace. To the people who, God, are far from you, draw them near. Holy Spirit, would you be at work around the tables and conversations that we have to have? Would you be at work in our hearts when we are filled with fears and disappointments? God, would you so saturate, would you incarnate like you did so long ago our souls. And Jesus, would you be our boast? Would you be the one that we proclaim? God, we know that your rule equals your peace. And so we say, God, come in and rule and give us that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. We're going to take communion. Remembering that it was the night that Jesus was betrayed, he offered peace. He gave communion to Judas Iscariot. He gave communion to Peter, who would deny him three times. Peace. Peace. He offers you that peace, no matter how bad your life has been, no matter how bad your life will be, he offers peace. He says, be reconciled to God communion is realizing that God has reconciled you to him through his broken body and shed blood. If you believe that to be true in your heart and life, come and join us in communion. Let's worship together.